1 Samuel chapter number 7, verse 3 says, Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we've sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard, those are the bad guys, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. And Samuel was offering, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. Watch this. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, tell now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter again into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. I don't know how you feel about Old Testament history. To me, if it's, if it's taught right, if it's preached right, if it's read rightly, it can be some of the most enlightening passages in all of the Word of God because they're action scenes. These are things that really happened. And the Old Testament doesn't apologize for God showing up on the scene in very powerful and supernatural ways. And I love reading my Old Testament because it reminds us of the God of the Jews who is also the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is also our Father in heaven and He doesn't change. So this God that we're about to talk about who intervenes on behalf of Israel is the same God that you prayed to today. The same God who pursued you in grace and brought you to that place where in, in a moment of brokenness you knew you needed His Son and you surrendered unto Him. The same God who is working all things together for your good and my good because we are among those that love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this isn't a different God than your God. And we're not really made out of anything different than Israel was made out of. And before I get into the text, let me tell you what Israel had been doing for 20 years, sinning and backsliding. They had been sinning and backsliding. I would encourage you read chapters 4, 5, and 6 that, that are between 3 where we ended last time and chapter 7 where I just read. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 can just be labeled with one word across all three chapters, unnecessary defeat. 
Israel was reaping what they had been sown by the, the, the faulty priest Eli and his two sinful sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they had plunged Israel into a state of spiritual blindness. And even when God judged that family, judged Eli the priest and his two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, they were grown men. But these men were so wicked that the Lord couldn't wait on them to repent anymore, and he literally judged them. They were killed on the battlefield. The ark of the Lord was stolen by the enemies, the Philistines, and for 20 years, literally, Ichabod, the glory of God, had departed away from Israel. And all of that time, we don't hear a word about Samuel. Samuel is in a position of leadership, but the people would not repent. So the best that the leader can do when the people's hearts are hard towards God, the best he can do is manage, pray, and wait. And that appears what Samuel had done. So by the time we get to chapter number 7, the Philistines own Israel. They're dominating them. They're, they're killing them. They're stealing from them. They're pillaging them. They're totally dominating Israel. And it's not until we get to chapter 7 to where we find out why this was so. It doesn't tell us in chapter 4 why Israel kept losing. It doesn't tell, tell us in chapter 5 or chapter 6. There's no mention of why Israel kept getting their backsides handed to them by these pagans that weren't in covenant with God. But when you get to chapter 7, it's exposed. And so that's where we're going tonight, and we're talking about turning things around. The beauty of all of this is, is this truth, that no matter how far a person or a group of people have strayed from God, He is a God of grace and mercy and compassion. And if we'll humble ourselves and confess our sin and turn to Him in brokenness, fellowship is restored. And when fellowship is restored, victory can be experienced again. And so let's look at this. Look at the leader tonight. We're looking at Samuel as the leader. And I want to talk about, first of all, the forthrightness of the leader. And that's back up in verses 3 and 4. It was not a time for the leader to mamby-pamby around. It wasn't a time to play politics. They needed strong, decisive leadership in Israel, and Samuel steps up to the plate. And so there was a potential for the people. Verse number 3, look at the beginning of this, this expression of the potential for the people. Samuel said to all of the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, just stop there. Remember, I already gave you the background. They're in a 20-year season of defeat and getting blistered by the Philistines. And they're now broken. They're now afraid. They're at rock bottom. And Samuel recognizes that Israel is trembling and afraid and wanting God to be among them again. And Samuel steps up and he tells them the potential that can happen right here, right now. He says, if you want to return to the Lord with your whole heart. And by the way, that's the only way to come to the Lord. The Lord doesn't want a portion of Israel's uh, commitment. He doesn't want most of their uh, faithfulness. He, he is an all or nothing God. That's the way he gives unto us. That's also the way he expects us to interact. And so Samuel says, here's a potential for all of Israel. If you really want to return to the Lord with all of your heart, well, what would it require? Because obviously at this point, they're doomed without God. They've, it's taken 20 years for the nation to learn that they can't win. They're not going to overcome. They're not being blessed. They're being chastised. And obviously, they don't want God fighting them. But what will it take to make it right? This is where you see further that Samuel's not playing games as a leader. Look further in verse number 3. And you're going to see the prerequisite for the people. What would be needed before they made their commitment to the Lord? Look at what Samuel says. He says, if you really want to return to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign God and they're specified here, the Ashtaroth, from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only. Three commands. Put away your idols. 
Stop serving the pagan gods of the land. Remember, Israel was given the commandments, you shall have no other god before me. And here we are in the days of Samuel, and Israel had been bowing down to the pagan gods, literally to idols that they had made. Some of them, by the way, I think we're all adults in here for the most part, were, were crafted pornographically. Pornographic images and, and idols that were made, and Israel would worship falsely at these things, even making sacrifices to these false pagan idols, and God saw it all. And for 20 years, God gave grace, and God showed mercy, and God wooed them to come back, and 20 years later, they had not done it, and so God was judging them severely, and so Samuel didn't play around. It wasn't seeker-friendly. It wasn't a happy message. It wasn't, well, just come as you are and stay as you are. It was come with all that you've been dabbling in, leave it with the Lord, and then walk away differently. And so that's what you can write in the margin of your Bible. That's what repentance is. Repentance is being so deeply affected by, in the moment, by the righteousness of God that you are willing to turn loose of whatever he puts his hand on. And God regularly does that. And so they were told, number one, put the foreign gods away. Number two, direct your heart to the Lord. In other words, quit looking at all of the stuff of the world and start focusing again on God. And so that was the proactive step. Repent of your idolatry and return your own heart to the Lord. Don't ask God to do it for you, Israel. You make the decision to bring your heart back in front of the Lord. And then it says, serve him only. And that service would be the outflow, the worship and the outflow of their faithfulness to God. And so when repentance is called for, and friends, God still calls his people to repent. You and I are just as susceptible as Israel. I mean, listen, if I spend five minutes outside of the awareness of who I am in Christ, I can act like I'm not in Christ. I can say things, do things, and act in ways that, that appear pagan. And so it's so important that we, we, we practice that, that daily confession uh, I think it was Spurgeon that said, keep short accounts with God when it comes to your sin. It means when you do it, and listen, uh, you're going to from time to time, you're going to fail the Lord, and you don't, you don't excuse it, you don't, you don't cover it, you don't hide it, you bring it before the Lord, and if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and instantly fellowship is restored. And so Samuel gave them a very hard message of put away your sin and turn to the Lord he is worthy of your wholeheartedness. Look at the end of verse number three. He said, Jeff, we're only in one verse and it's been 10 minutes. How long are we going to be here tonight? Just long enough, amen? There was a promise to the people, and this is what I love. Samuel, is, as a leader, is telling them what they need to do, but he's also telling them, here's the back end of your repentance. What is it? God will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. The, the whole reason that they finally were broken and calling out to the Lord is because they kept losing their battles. And here in chapter 7, we're told why, chapter, while they were losing them, there's no mention of the reason why. Well, here's the reason why. If you're serving false gods, you can't count on the one and only God to come to your aid. If you're living in rebellion against him, don't expect his blessing. If you are um, a purposefully turning away from him, don't expect him to run ahead of you. And so we, we see that because they were sinning, they were not experiencing the blessing and the protection and the provisions of the covenant. But when they repent, this is what Samuel said, God's going to take care of your enemies. If you will turn to him, because he's the only one that can win your battles anyway, if you'll turn to him, he's going to fight for you. I, I woke up today, and you know what I had a decision to do? I had a, or a decision to make. This was my, it is my daily decision. I can either have God fight for me or have God fight against me. 
And though I believe in the sovereignty of God to the point where it will make some people nervous how deeply I believe in the sovereignty of God, God is not so sovereign that it doesn't matter what I do, that He's just going to bless me or lead me or provide for me no matter what I do. Some of that stuff depends on how I interact with Him. And so I don't want, I spent 24 years fighting against God. Guess what? I lost. I just kept losing. And in that finally de- final declaration on August 4th, 1994, when I said, Lord, I, I have lost, I am lost, I wave the white flag, I surrender. And God said, well, you just won. Why? Because I admitted my loss. And in that moment of confession and repentance, God says, I don't have to fight you anymore. I'm going to fight for you. Maybe you're here tonight. I really didn't intend to linger here this long. Maybe you're here this evening, and there's just portions of your life. I mean, you probably wouldn't be here if you were just an outright God-hater. Um, but there may be portions of your life that you've, you've protected from the Lord. You've said, Lord, you, you've got 97.3% of me, but I'm not really ready to surrender this 2.7%. I'm going to make you a promise. You keep protecting that 2.7%, just a random number, and it doesn't stay 2.7. It eventually becomes 5, and then it becomes 15, and then it becomes 45, and then eventually you're going to be worse off than when you began. And so when we're looking at this, this is what Samuel says. He says, if you'll repent and turn to the Lord, it's a moment of decision, he'll start fighting your enemies again. It's a powerful promise. Verse number 4. What would the folks do? Well, there was proof in their decision. The people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. I'm not even going to waste any time going into all of that. I I just write on on my uh, Bible here, I write, uh, they repented. It's very simple. They obeyed, they humbled themselves, they stopped running from God, they did what their, their spiritual leader told them to do, and he was speaking accurately for the Lord, and they repented. So let's get into the rest of the story, because this is where I get excited. I mean, I love the fact that God didn't put them on, on, on five years of probation. This is beautiful. You do know the difference. I say this about once every six weeks here. You know the difference between pardon and probation, right? Some of us know. Some of us know real well what the difference is. But probation means you're technically free, but they can yank you back and put you back. If you cross the line, even one time, you can go right back to the prison. And what God did is, and what God does for us is he, he pardons us in Jesus. So we, we have that full proclamation of freedom over our lives, just like Israel did here. And now they get to enjoy the Lord again. So let's look in verses 5 and 6. He was forthright, Samuel was, in verse 3 and 4, but now look at the faith of the leader. Look at it. It's displayed two ways. Samuel's faith displayed vertically. Samuel says, gather all of Israel together at Mizpah. I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah. They drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day and said there, we've sinned against the Lord. This is just their outward expression of repentance, but they didn't even know what to do. So long, some of these people that would be in their 20s had never walked in faithfulness to the Lord, had never lived in a nation that had been faithful to God. I want you to think about our kids and our grandkids. I mean, basically, if your kids are under the age of maybe 30, they've never known in America that upheld righteousness. 
They've, they've never walked and been aware of a land that once, you know, the, where the Bible was accepted and Christian morality was uh, not resisted. But in my lifetime, I'm 46, in my lifetime, I've watched us go from a, a nation that uh, reverenced the Lord, at least here in the Bible Belt, to then Christians were tolerated, then Christians were resisted, and now we're living a day where Christianity is fought tooth and nail. And so some of these in the crowd that day would have no grid whatsoever for what it meant to walk in faithfulness to God. And so they didn't even know how to pray. They, they didn't even have any confidence that God would hear them pray. And so they go to their leader and they say, well, you, you pray. Samuel, you know God. We, we've been kind of absent for a little while from him, but will you pray for us? And Samuel didn't scold him. He just said, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll, I sure will. And so he brings them there and he intercedes vertically. And together they pour out a drink offering before the Lord. And we're going to see in a minute that there was a sacrifice that was given. So I love the fact that Samuel, living in a, in a season of spiritual decline, He's not, he doesn't seem to be angry. He doesn't seem to be bitter. He's not ranting and raving. He's not threatening now that they finally repented. I, I just see his unwavering walk. He just waited on God. One of the hardest things that we're going to do as grandparents, some of you are, are grandparents, some of you are great-grandparents, some of you are parents, all of us are in the kingdom, and we're influencing somebody for, for, for good or worse. The hardest thing to do sometimes is wait on God. We, we sometimes don't understand, well, Lord, why don't you destroy these pagans? You know, why, why don't you just bring out the hatchet and take care of all this ungodliness? Well, friends, aren't you glad he didn't do that when you were an ungodly pagan, if you ever were one? Aren't you glad he was patient with you? God actually loves his, 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 his heart is long-suffering and patient. He's not willing that any should perish. And Samuel had to wait 20 years, and when they repented, he just got in the presence of the Lord, and he interceded for these very freshly awakened souls and called out to God for, for kindness and mercy and grace. But then he also dealt horizontally. Faith is not only how we enter into the presence of God through intercession and prayer, but faith is also horizontal. Look in verse 6 at the end of it. It says, Samuel judged the people. doesn't mean he judged them un, in an unholy way. It simply means that he called the people to deep devotion while they were there at Mizpah. It indicates more than likely, if you'll expand it, he continued to intercede for them. He provided that ongoing spiritual leadership that not all of it is, is kind of played out right here in these verses. We don't have all the details, but it could have even involved just counseling them. Hey, this is where we've gone as a nation. This is what we've done wrong. This is what we've suffered together as a nation, just providing direction and leadership. And ultimately, if he needed to, administrating justice. I mean, sin's messy. I thank God for a moment of repentance, but let's be wise. It's, it's kind of easy to repent before the Lord, and when that moment of cleansing happens, it can be ecstatic. It can be, you, sometimes you weep, sometimes you just experience the overwhelming presence and mercy and, and just the interaction of the Holy Spirit as He just reveals Jesus to you as a merciful Savior who didn't give up on you. And it can be very intense emotionally and spiritually. But then when that moment fades away, you're actually still living in the same circumstances you were living in five minutes before you prayed the prayer of repentance. And, and so now, You've got to deal with things horizontally. It's awesome. You've got to get them right vertically first, but then you actually have to live it out horizontally. 
And so Samuel was wise to that. Samuel didn't let it just happen in the church house and then kind of cover his eyes about how Israel left. He was so serious. He's like, listen, if I'm going to lead you in this moment of repentance, I'm going to lead you in walking it out too. Um, I I don't know how intimidating it might be. I I do think one of the ways the enemy works is he prevents people from, uh, from, uh, he resists people from from repenting and coming clean with the Lord and, and bringing their life to Jesus. And one of the ways that he does that is he holds up the mess that their life is and says, hey, look, you start getting all churchy, uh, you're going to have to move out of that, that woman's house that you're living with. Or you're gonna, for me, it was the drinking and the drugs. I'm, I'm, I hope that doesn't offend you, but that's where the Lord saved me out of. And I was living with my drug dealer. And we didn't have a godly lifestyle. I got saved like, boom. I mean, it was just, wow, and everything was different. And all I knew were, were, were drunks, drug vendors, and, and drug users. And all of a sudden, I'm saved, and just everything's new. And I realized in about a week's time that, oh, I'm not going to be able to traffic in the same areas I've been trafficking in. I'm not going to be able to hang with those that I used to hang. I can't do the things that I used to do anymore. And I realize, oh, it's going to require some work. I'm just going to say this. The God who is faithful to bring you to that place of repentance is also the same God who is faithful to help you clean up the mess you created. And so you, he, he doesn't save you and send you out to figure out how you're going to clean up the mess. I mean, my whole life was messed up. I was financially messed up. I owed everybody money, legal and illegal. I, had, I thought I had warrants out for my arrest. I was just, I'm telling too much, but I'm just telling you, within about six months, uh, everything was where it should be. I mean, it was just incredible. But it wouldn't have happened had I not been led vertically by a guy who understood vertical first with the Lord, and then Jeff... I'm going to lead you in steps you need to take. And I'm going to tell you, I I don't know what you're intimidated by in your past or your present, but I can promise you this. If God's leading you to a place of repentance, and I think he's calling a lot of people in these last days to really inventory their lives and say, what am I all about? Not only will he help you get your horizontal situation fixed, but he's also going to give you brothers and sisters in Christ who won't abandon you or forsake you or judge you. That I know a lot of Christians would love to help some newly repentant soul get their life put back together. And so I want to encourage you, don't listen to the devil. Listen to the Lord and listen to his people, and you're going to find that he has not given up on you, and you hadn't made a mess that he can't clean up. So go down with me into verses 7 through 10, because this, I, I just love supernatural. And this is about to get really supernatural. And um, I just love God being God and not asking permission. So look at the fury of the enemy because the Philistines are still hanging out. And so we're going to see in verse number seven at the beginning, just very simply, opposition. Now watch this. When the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords or the leaders of the kings of the Philistines went up against Israel. I'm going to debunk some myths. The, the devil doesn't leave you alone when you get saved. The devil doesn't say, oh, shucks, when you repent as a Christian, stuff his hands in his pockets and walk away and say, man, uh, he's got nothing else to do except to oppose the people of God. I mean, that's just what the devil does. The only threat in this world horizontally to the devil's domain is the church of the living God. I mean, because we're the only ones that are equipped and empowered and authorized to fight and conquer his territory. And so when a person repents, they actually are enlisted in God's army. 
And whether it's through salvation or a renewal of commitment, maybe they went AWOL, but they're back in the army of the Lord. The enemy hates that, and he's not going to quit on us. And so a lot of people sense when they get their lives right with God, they sense an uptick in opposition and struggles and temptations and adversity, and you're not imagining things. And so it's, it's interesting to me that as soon, for the first time in 20 years, Israel gets right with God, and they're still on the campground. They're still in that place where they were brought to repent before the Lord, and the Philistines hear of it, and they start opposing. They start mounting up. Look, go further with me. The opposition turns into intimidation. Look in verse number 7 at the end of it. When the people of Israel heard of it, when they heard the Philistines were getting their, their stuff together and coming against Israel, watch this, they were afraid of the Philistines. So interesting to me how, what happens to our minds and our hearts when we're, I'm just going to say, away from the Lord. Because Israel as a nation had been experiencing for 20 years nothing but defeat. Nothing but defeat. And so now they're freshly repentant, but for 20 years their minds and hearts and spirits have been trained that when the enemy comes, what does it result in? Defeat. And so although they are right with God, they don't have any sense yet that God is actually for them. And so they have been trained in their flesh that when opposition comes, they assume they're being judged. They assume God will no longer be for them. They have never seen God, well, they haven't seen for 20 years, God actually come and fight for them. And so as soon as they hear of the enemy coming, their minds and hearts, listen, their spirits are aligned with God, but their minds and their hearts, their minds and their emotions have been trained to fear the enemy. And so now the enemy comes up and they automatically start panicking again. It's, it's a, just a, a testimony that sanctification is the process. Do you know how much the New Testament says about being renewed in your mind? The, New, the Pauline epistles, Paul's letters are constantly, well maybe not constantly, but regularly enough, speaking to us about the need to have our minds renewed by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God. And that, that, that we can actually begin to think as Christ thinks. We can have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And so we can literally have our minds retrained, but it doesn't happen instantaneously all the time, especially if you've been living in the far country for 20 years like Israel had. And so I, I just want to say this, church, hear me on this. We cannot get frustrated with people when they struggle to believe that God is for them. We can't just give them 15 sermons on why God is for them. Somebody needs to come alongside the struggling Christian, like Samuel is doing it in kind of a macrocosmic way here, but we need to be like Samuel and come alongside of those that have never really understood. God doesn't tolerate you. God isn't just letting you in on a technicality. God is Abba Father. He is Dada in the Aramaic that Jesus used. He is intimately committed to you and loves you, and you can count on Him. And, and so often we say, yeah, but what about all the defeats and what about all this? Well, listen, there's two things. Sometimes I have been defeated in my life because of my own foolishness. That was the case of Israel for 20 years. They learned that God wasn't for them because for 20 years he hadn't been. He was waiting on them to repent. But as they repented, God's covenant is now in effect over their lives. The blessings, the conditions of the, the, the Abrahamic covenant, they can rest in that, but their minds don't believe that yet. 
And so what we've got to do in our day, when we find people that have either been living in shame, been living in guilt, been living in sin, been beat up by religious powerhouses. I mean, listen, there's a lot of ministries out there that just slap people around, layer them with guilt and shame instead of grace and forgiveness and truth. And so when, when they come to Newbridge, we, we want to be cycle breakers. We, we want to be the hands and the heart and the mouth and the feet and the embrace of God to people. And, and there are going to be some that are justified by the Lord through the blood of Jesus Christ. They're saved, but their minds don't know it yet. Their minds don't feel it. Their hearts don't feel it. And so I'm going to preach my heart out, but I'm going to promise you something. It is highly unlikely that we're going to sermonize somebody into this. What, what happens more often than not is that the Holy Spirit will use a side-by-side -side encounter, somebody to shepherd them and walk them through it. And wouldn't you love to be a person like that? Wouldn't you love to be somebody that just walks side-by-side -side with a man or a woman or a young person and just brings them, maybe months, it might take a year, it could take more, but you're committed to them, you're not afraid of their struggles, and you reinforce to them your feelings are lying to you. Your feelings are deceiving you. I understand that you're afraid, and I'll be here while you work through the fear, but I'm not going to tell you that God's not for you because he is for you. And so we get renewed in the spirit of our mind. So while they were wayward, they learned not to expect God to rescue them. They're not wayward anymore, but they're going to have to relearn how to expect God. And what's beautiful in this passage is God doesn't make them wait very long. God's about to show up. And so let's get down in, into that area. Verses 8 and 9, here's the intercession of Samuel. So when the opposition comes and the, we experience the intimidation, we need to immediately to move into intercession. Verse 8, the people of Israel said to Samuel, don't stop praying for us. I'm paraphrasing there. Do not cease to, cr uh, to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. I mean, they had gone so far from God, they didn't even think they could pray to him anymore. So look at what Samuel does. This is a picture of Jesus Christ being offered for us. Samuel took a nursing lamb, a young, innocent lamb, and he offered it as a whole burnt offering. That was uh, the sacrifice among sacrifices for the Israelite. Well, the whole offering was laid before God. It was totally consumed by the fire, and it's a picture of Jesus Christ giving his all on behalf of the sinner. And so Samuel offers up this offering to say to the Lord, we, we, we reverence you and we trust you and we lay before you this lamb as a symbolic sacrifice, as a sacrifice for our sins. And then it says, Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. Look at his leadership, folks. Nobody really talks a lot about Samuel. They talk about who Samuel anointed to be king. King Saul first and then King David. And King David just kind of Samuel fades into the background, but look at this guy. He's kind of like a one-man show here because it doesn't seem like he's surrounded with a lot of godly people, but he's steady Eddie. I prayed just briefly with my friend Larry Bowker. He's one of the elders here at Newbridge. And when I think of Larry, I don't mean to embarrass you, brother, but I, I just think of a steady saint, steady. You know, you put me and Dustin in a room and we need a Larry Bowker because Dustin and I, you know, we're just kind of, spastic, and we need a steady eddy. That's the way I see Samuel. Samuel's just kind of, he, he keeps everybody grounded and level. You don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to be neon. You don't have to be the bionic Christian woman, ma'am. You, 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 if we can raise, rise to the level of just saying, God, I want to be a steward, and above all things, a steward needs to be found faithful and consistent. 
And Samuel brings that stability to a chaotic Israel, and he just begins to cry out to God for them. But look at the end of verse 8. The Lord answered him. Israel hadn't had a collective answered prayer from the Lord in 20 years. They repented. They, got in, they found themselves in immediate trouble. Samuel, the leader, intercedes, offers up the sacrifice. And in the Hebrew, by the way, it's just two words. It's five words here in the English Bible, and the Lord answered him. In Hebrew, it's just two words, and we could say it this way. Samuel cried out unto the Lord. God responded. God responded. I just love my Bible because when, when you unpack those two words, God responded. I mean, I don't know what you're going through right now, but some of you need to keep crying out to the Lord. Some of you don't need to turn it down or tone it down or, or pull it back or scale it smaller. Some of you just need to keep going after it because there is a moment in time where the record of heaven will say, so-and-so in Lawrenceville, Georgia, cried out to the Lord, and she cried out to the Lord, and he kept crying out to the Lord, and then the record of heaven one day will say, God responded. And he moves on your behalf. And listen, he doesn't always send a, a, a press team ahead of him to tell you he's about to do it. He doesn't always say, okay, in two weeks, on a Thursday at 3 p.m., you're going to get your answer. He doesn't do that. He just wants you to keep coming to him. And as Samuel was doing that, the Bible just says God responded. Now let's unpack how God responded because I'm telling you, oh, let's just let the Bible talk here. Just look with me down in, in verse number 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. Watch that. The situation circumstantially got worse. It didn't get better right away. They're praying. God is about to respond. They're offering up sacrifices. They're, they're following God's uh, guidelines and commandments. They're doing everything right, but their situation is getting worse. Now the Philistines aren't just down there gathering together. Now they are moving towards them. And remember, these folks aren't renewed in their mind yet. They don't know how to trust God for victory yet. And so go down with me in verses 10 through 13. And let's finish up here tonight. The favor of the Lord. So we've seen the fury of the enemy. Here comes the Philistines. They don't like it when people repent. The faith of the leader. Samuel's talking to God and he's instructing the people. The forthrightness of the leader earlier. He's saying, if you want to repent, now's the time. Here's what it's going to take. Now watch the favor of the Lord because this is when... Uh, we just see God show off. And by the way, he's allowed to. And he still does. Uh, you and I show off, it's sin. When God shows off, it's glorious. So watch this. Look at the intervention of God, verse 10. <laughs> well, paired up with the beginning of verse 10. The Philistines, dun, 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 drew near, oh no, to attack Israel. Ah! But the Lord, but the Lord, verse 10, but the Lord thundered. I love these type A words here. The Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, threw them into confusion, and they were routed. That is a, I, I'm a type A, and every now and then I just do a holy dance in my type A-ness because that is a type A verse. I mean, the Bible says that God has a little bit of a type A streak. He thundered. He made a scene. He, he, there was a mighty sound that day. He throws the Philistines into confusion and they were routed. Those are big, intense words. I'm glad the Bible doesn't just simply say, and it would have been fine if it did. I'm not here to judge how God says things, but I'm glad the Bible didn't just say, and the Lord provided a meaningful victory that day for his people. <laughs> Come on, man, give me some of that. 
Give me some thunder and say, Jeff, tell us what it means. I can't. Nobody knows what it means. Nobody knows what God did that day. the, the, The chronicler here just says that on that day, in response to Israel's new repentance, even in their weakness, even when they didn't know how to trust God, in response to the enemy coming up against them, just like they had been doing for 20 years, in response to the sacrifice, the whole burnt offering, the drink offering, and the intercession of the leader, the Bible just says kind of ambiguously, the Lord thundered with a great sound. The only thing that I can think, and please feel free to disagree with me, is that God did something in the heavens, in the, in the immediate atmosphere of where they were, that was such a roaring, shaking sound, probably meteorological event. I don't know, but this is what I'm guessing. And it threw the Philistines into a terror. God had done this before. Actually, he would do it again later, where he sent such uh, a confusion into the enemy camp that they actually kill each other. This is, this is something I want you to know. By the way, oh, wait. Man, these rabbit trails are delicious today. (laughs) Listen to this, ladies. I want all the moms to hear this. Write this verse down or remember it. 1 Samuel 2.10, the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel, Hannah was praying. That prayer was also prophecy. Part of what Hannah said in 1 Samuel 2.10, probably close to 30 years before this event, was this, the Lord will thunder against his enemies and scatter them. So Mama Bear, praying over her baby that she had just received, I think, yes, she had received him at that point, was praying, praising, prophesying, and and two decades plus before had said, the Lord is going to thunder, use the exact same Hebrew word, thunder against his enemies and scatter. That mama was so filled with God that when she, the boy hadn't even stopped being weaned at that point, and, and Samuel now is a grown man leading. I don't even know where Hannah is at this point. She could have been dead and in heaven by this point. We don't know. But her, her, her words came to pass. Um... God is going to be faithful to his people. We can forget him, but we're inscribed on the palms of his hands. He will not forget us. Even when we have not been faithful, he remains true to himself. Now, I don't want to I don't want to take license with that truth. I don't want to try to manipulate that faithfulness of God in some kind of license to me to live in a, a way that God doesn't approve of. Well, I'm going to tell you something. We'd be in big trouble if he was only as faithful as we were. (laughs) So here he is. Israel's not even really trusting him. I think Samuel is. But they're terrified. And they're scared. And Samuel's in the middle of praying. And God just does something supernatural that the Bible doesn't even try to explain to us. I'm going to give you something here. He's got stuff reserved that he can do on your behalf that'll blow your mind. You think you're out of options. You're only out of options if God ever gets out of options. And if you belong to him, you are not out of options. You might be out of your own resources, but you are never out of options when you are in covenant with a supernatural, miracle-working God who loves you. He loves you. Well, I got one person that's happy. This is hitting at home tonight. I I don't need the applause. That's fine. But I'm just saying, 
I need these verses. Lord, I need you to thunder against my opposition. Say, Jeff, who's after you? I don't know. If you know, you tell me. I don't know who it is. But I just know that we encounter, I know the devil's after us. I know the enemy's got devices and schemes. Listen, they don't take days off in hell's army. And, and so he's got plans. And Lord, I just want you to thunder in opposition. I mean, I, man, I'm just trying not to get testimonial here. But I'm going to tell you something. In the last eight years, I have watched opposition after opposition after opposition come up against me physically, uh, ministerially in ministry. I've seen it happen relationally. I've, I'm just like you. I've taken some daggers in the back, and, and I know how that feels. And it is so difficult in those moments not to just get frustrated either with the Lord because He's not preventing it, but if you will stay where you're supposed to be, that is close to Him, and you'll keep your eyes on Him, and you'll trust, even when your feelings are saying, run, that fight or flight instinct, that adrenaline is telling you, run, run, run. No, if you're going to run, run closer into Him, press into Him. But I'm going to tell you, stay where you're planted and watch God work for you. Israel got to watch the Philistines scramble. And they had never seen that for at least for 20 years. And the Bible says they were routed. That is a great word. They were routed. It wasn't like a ball game where at the end of the ninth inning it was three to two. You know, the team squeaked by. No, it was a rout. Um, look in verse number 11. And when Israel saw what God did, look in verse 11. Look what happened. The initiative of Israel. And the men of Israel went out. Uh-oh, they moved. They got in on what God was doing. The men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them. When they were convinced again that God was for them, they got reconnected to their courage. The reason why a lot of us aren't operating in the courage that we could be is because we're not really confident that God is for us. But when they saw God begin to do something, they began to get reconnected with, oh, wow, he really is faithful. We really are in covenant. That repentance really was what he was waiting for. And all of those things that have been withheld from us as Israel are now flowing to us. And we're watching these Philistines. We've never seen the, their backs before. We've never seen them running away from us. They're actually running away. Hey, guys, let's go get them. And of course, whether, don't, please don't write me emails if you're a pacifist. This is something we can't get away from in the Bible. God's people had to fight pagan influences to the death. They, they had to kill them. And so they went out after the Philistines and they killed them. I'm, I'm praying for this assembly. And by the way, other assemblies in our community. There are some churches that are really coming together with gospel kingdom orientation. There is something going on in this little hub of an area we live in, and we want to see it grow, and we're, we're, we are waiting on the Lord, but there's, it's undoubtedly happening. And what, what, what we're seeing is, wait a minute, we're not going to be backed into the corner by those that want Christians to sit down and shut up. We're not going to, you know, kowtow to, you know, Islamophobia and, oh, no, we can't say anything. Uh, we don't want to offend the Muslims or we don't want to offend this segment of the community or this segment. We're going to be loving. We're going to be kind, but we're going to be truthful. And so when, when, when you start seeing God moving and working and blessing, you will find holy courage. And I hope you'll step in it. Um, I've got a couple of names and testimonies running around in my mind right now about people in the last year that are in the room tonight, and I've just watched them 
at times where they wanted to shrink back in fear, but just by the Spirit of God and just the last shred of human trusting, they just pressed on a little further and they watched God begin to move and they are no longer frustrated and fearful, but they are walking in a new season. And friends, sometimes it's literally the next inch that you walk. If you'll just walk an inch more, sometimes that's where God is waiting. So we, we don't quit, we don't draw back. And then, so go down to verses 12 and 13 and I'll let you go home. But the insights of Samuel. So anyway, the Philistines lose that day. But it wasn't just that day. Watch this, verses 12 and 13. So Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. We'll come back to that in a minute. He said, till now the Lord has helped us. Now look at verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter again into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. They won not just that day, but for years to come. Because of a moment in time where a leader who was waiting on the Lord, who also discerned the times, led the people and things started turning around. There was repentance, there was growth, there was faith, there was sacrifice, there was trust, there was intercession, and things began to turn around. Ebenezer, a weird name. Most of us, when we hear the word Ebenezer, what do we think of? The headless horseman, Ebenezer Scrooge. But it's a Bible term. If you, if you remember your hymn book, you, you definitely remember. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, something along those lines. A beautiful song. But I remember singing that for years, and I was like, I love that whole song, but I don't really like the word Ebenezer. That makes no sense to me. And, but this is where it comes from. It, it's simply a, a, a statement that references the fact that God had helped them. God had come to their rescue. God had come to their aid. God had met them right where they were. They didn't earn it. They had been sinning against him for 20 years. He didn't lay out, you know, 15 years of probation and then we'll talk again and we'll see if you can be faithful a while. God literally honored one moment of their national repentance and a, a, an enemy that had dominated them for 20 years came up against them and God said, I can take care of that for you. I always could have. You didn't let me, but now that you'll let me, watch what I'm going to do. God, God did something crazy supernatural, and then Israel got to finish off the Philistines, and here was the end result. They didn't have to worry about that enemy anymore. Watch this. Some of us don't have a thousand enemies. We've got one or two relentless things that always seem to be knocking at our door. For some, it's a temptation. It's, it's a weakness of the flesh. For others, it's a, it's a person in your life. Some may be uh, being aggressively pursued by demonic activity. It does happen. For some, it's a, it's a physical ailment that, that dominates your life. Listen, we battle that in my home. We've been praying for five years for my life, wife's leg to be restored. For those of you who don't know it, she was hit head-on in a crash, and, and her precious mom died in the crash, and, and Amy almost lost her leg, and, and she's in pain most of the time. And we prayed for five years. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I've got a great life, but this one enemy just, good morning, I'm here again. And I believe with all my heart that God can and will deliver my wife from that. It didn't happen today, but guess what we'll be seeking tomorrow? And if it doesn't happen tomorrow, guess what we'll be seeking on Friday? That's just the way we roll. Why? Because I believe that there are moments of time, God-ordained moments, where your prayer merges 
with the plan of God. I don't think, well, it doesn't matter what I don't think. I'm just telling you what I do think here. That your prayers merge with the plan of God. And in that instant, all of hell, if it, I mean all of hell, every demon, Satan himself, came up against you in that moment. They would have to turn their backs like the Philistines and go home in defeat. Why? Because your God is for you.